0: Matthew 27 and verse 45. It's all here, the word of the Lord. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there, when they heard that, said, This man called for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar, put it on a reed and gave him to drink. And the rest said, Let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. But Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain, from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. Amen. We know the Lord will bless this most sacred portion of His Word. Let us come once more in a brief time of prayer. Our gracious God, our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank Thee that You have brought us to Your house. We have come to learn, we have come to hear Thy Word. We desire to see Christ and His work. That is our request. We pray You would grant it now as we look at this most sacred portion of Thy Word. In Jesus' name, Amen and Amen. Often when you read, you read through the crucifixion of Christ and you feel as you're reading it that you are treading on holy ground, as you read the the story of the death of Christ. It is one of the darkest and saddest moments in all of human history, for wicked men with wicked hands are crucifying the Son of God. For three hours a supernatural darkness covers Jesus as he pays the price. For our sin, the end of his suffering, he speaks to his Father and he says, Into thy hands I commend my spirit. But then the maker of heaven and earth dies. But as he dies, many powerful and strange things begin to happen. The ground itself shakes and the rocks. Are rent in two as if they are men tearing their clothes in mourning at the death of their Creator. The centurion, a man who had surely seen many die when he saw the way that Christ died, the way he chose the moment of his death, he said, Truly, this was the Son of God. But nearby in the city, on top of a hill, and through the temple, Something else incredible happens. A veil that separated men from the holy of holies in the temple. A veil that was so heavy it would take 300 men to lift it in place was rent. It was torn in half from the top to the bottom making a pathway into the holy place where God dwells. That torn veil... It was a message that speaks louder than the shaking of the earth and the rending of the rocks. Because it said, that torn veil, the presence, the way to the presence of God is now open. And by presence of God, I mean here that you have coming into God's presence for the first time when you were saved. And that presence you can never leave but also coming into the presence of God when you come to pray or you come to church like we are right now, we have come through the veil to the presence of God, to fellowship with Him. As we gather here today to look at this passage, the Lord is telling you something. He's telling all of us something. He is telling us, I have rent the veil. And understanding what that means is critical for us in our Christian walk, in our life. If we don't grasp what that torn veil means, then we will live like beggars, though we are the son of the king, children of the king. We won't be able to have victory over sin or even to live joyfully unless we understand what that torn veil meant. And the Lord being our Father desires us to live before Him joyfully. And so, He's showing us that rent veil. That's why I want to preach to you this morning on the veil. I'm sorry, it's not the morning, it's the afternoon now. But the veil... First place, what was the veil? That's something we have to understand first. I think the best place to understand what the veil was, you have to go back. You go back to the very beginning of time, to a garden, the garden of Eden, before the fall of man, the place where God dwelt with man. In Genesis chapter 2, it tells us all about how God made man and woman in his own image how Adam named all the animals, and, and th- throughout that chapter, God is, is speaking with Adam and He's interacting with him. There is no separation. There's no veil. There's no mediator or prophet because God just simply comes and He speaks with Adam. Because Eden was a place without a veil. But those days, those days did not last. Adam ate the forbidden fruit And for the first time in man's short history, he was afraid of God. And he hid himself from God. In Genesis 3.10, Adam is speaking and he says, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Adam and his wife, were, Adam and Eve, were hiding because they were afraid of the judgment of God. Because they had sinned against an infinitely holy and good God. But we know the story that followed after. God pronounced judgment on all of creation, man, woman, and Satan. But we read in Genesis 3.24, it says, So He drove out the man, and He placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Those cherubim and that flaming sword, that is the first time, the first example that you see God separating Himself from man. That is the first veil. Was that cherubim. The cherubim and the flaming sword. But you go on through history and you come to a desert. And you come to a mountain called Sinai in Exodus 19. And Israel has just come out of Egyptian bondage. And the Lord leads them to Sinai. He tells Moses to come up the mountain and I'm going to speak with you there. But the Lord tells Moses, I'm going to make myself seen to the people so that when I speak to you, they will know God speaks with Moses. The Lord tells them in Exodus 19.11, Be ready against the third day, for the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. But when the Lord comes down, he veils himself from men. He tells the children of Israel, You cannot go up this mountain. You cannot touch this mountain, or you will be put to death. And when the Lord, when that third day comes, over the mountain there's a thick cloud that gathers. There's thunder that is roaring and lightning that is striking, so much so that the people are terrified just by the presence of this storm on top of that mountain. But then it says, the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain. And when the Lord came down, He descended on the mountain in a blaze, in a fire. If you've ever seen a bonfire raging and smoke coming up from it, you take that picture of the bonfire You take a picture of a mountain and you put that fire on top of that mountain to where it covers all of it in this raging blaze in the clouds and the smoke and the storm that served as a veil because man cannot come to God. And when Moses did go up the mountain because the Lord chose him to go up and to speak to him, He told him, Go down. Charge the people lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze and many of them perish. The Lord reiterates again. He says the same thing for the second time. And when the Lord says something twice, it is emphasized. It's like the Lord writing it in bold ink. He's saying, listen, listen, you can't come up the mountain or I will slay you. So the veil on that mountain stood between the people. Before they left that mountain, Moses even asked to see the face of God in Exodus 33. The Lord told him in verse 20, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. So even though Moses went up the mountain, he did not see the full face of God. The Lord did show him something of his glory, but the Lord veiled his full glory from Moses. And you remember what happened when Moses came down from that mountain? His face shone with the glory of the Lord. And what did they put on Moses' face so that they wouldn't have to look at the glory of the Lord constantly? They put a veil on his face because man cannot bear to look at the glory of God because it is terrifying. But then the place that we, we read of the veil at the start, that was in the tabernacle that great tent that was set up in the midst of the camp of Israel as they they went through the wilderness. If you went inside that tabernacle, at the back of it, you would see a veil. On the other side of that veil was the presence of God. And man could not go through. If he was to go through, he would die. The only exception to that was once a year on the Day of Atonement when the high priest after making the sacrifice, cleansed himself and entered with the blood of the Lamb, which is a picture of what Christ was going to do. He could go through the veil, but no one else went through that veil, not as long as the presence of God was behind it. But there the veil hung. It hung in the tabernacle and it hung in the temple for years, for hundreds of years it stood. With this message, you cannot come and see God. But we come now to ask this question, my second point. How was it torn? And that is where we come to the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus, because it is all of Him that that veil was torn. So we come and we look at the Son and His suffering The punishment for Adam's sin, for our sin, was separation from God. That was the message of the veil. So to remove the veil, the Lord Jesus had to suffer the penalty, which was separation from God. For three hours, when Christ was on the cross, the sun itself would not shine on Him. Elsewhere in the Scriptures, you read that, The Lord causes the sun to shine upon good men and evil men because that's His common grace, His favor that He shows to all men that He will allow the sun to shine on them. But when Christ was on the cross, He received no common grace, no favor from God whatsoever. The sun was not to shine on Him because there is No son. There is no favor of God in hell. And that is what he had to suffer. In the third hour of that darkness, Christ cries out. You know, he cries out because there is a veil. There is a veil of unimaginable suffering between himself and the Father. He cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And in those words, I say you see a veil because He doesn't see the Father anymore. He cries out, Why have you forsaken Me? For eternity the Son had dwelt with the Father. Never with anything in between. No veil. Just perfect fellowship. But now, Christ raises His head on the cross. All He sees is a veil. And darkness, separation from God. Now that suffering, it was so great and it was so deep and we know it was because it was written of Christ in Isaiah 53 verse 7. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth all throughout Christ's ministry, you will not read of Him crying out in pain. You will not read of Him objecting to the the wickedness that men did to Him. When His back was whipped, He did not cry out. When He was crucified, He did not cry. But when He felt this pain, He cried, My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? So great was the suffering of that veil. But after Christ suffered that veil, we know what happened. Because God in the Old Testament gave us a very simple picture of what happened. We mentioned it just a moment ago. That on the day of atonement, there was a lamb that was slain. And the high priest took the blood of that lamb and he went through the veil. And he sprinkled that blood... On the mercy seat. That blood. That blood was testimony. It was was proof. That the judgment. The veil that man deserved for all eternity. Between himself and God. The suffering of that. Was paid. And here's the blood that was poured out. That proves it. The blood is proof. And the blood was sprinkled on that mercy seat. Christ was spreading that blood and His blood said, it testified, the veil must be removed. It can't stand. The suffering has taken place. The veil has to be rent. Then we come and we look at the response of the Father to this. He spoke from heaven with the most powerful statement He could make about what the Lord Jesus just did. He took the veil, as it were, with His own hands and He tore it in half and opened the way into His presence. There was no better way for God to say to all of mankind that my Son has finished the work, that He has satisfied my wrath and my judgment. And once again... The Lord said this in bold ink. The Holy Spirit said the veil is torn and He said it in bold ink because in the text you read, behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain. But then it says, from the top to the bottom. I don't think that it's, it's saying that just so that we would know the veil wasn't split Horizontally. It's saying that to emphasize it. It's like, it's like someone going through the street and ringing a bell and shouting the same message over and over again. The veil is rent. The veil is rent. Come. Come into the presence of God. What Adam lost has been regained by Christ. Come. And the veil shouted that. It, the, God the Father shouted that when He tore that veil. And because God was the one that tore that veil, it's God that is making an invitation to sinners and to saints, come. Come into My presence for the first time in your life and be saved. You'll never go away from My presence. Come, Christian. Come into My presence. I've torn the veil. This is Christ said when He was on the earth, come unto Me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And now at the end of his life, the Father calls out with him, Come unto Me. Come. But what are you going to do with that invitation? That's the third and final thing we come to look at. And that is life without the veil. And generally from men, there are three responses to this torn veil. The first is the deniers. It's no stretch of the imagination to to see that the Jews most likely after the veil was torn either stitched up the veil or they got rid of that one and they put a new one in because they had to have the veil to continue their temple worship. And because temple worship continued, that means they put another veil up. So they were saying their reply to God emphasizing and shouting out The veil is rent. The Jews said, No. The veil is not rent. The way is still shut, and you cannot come in. And for 2,000 years, the Jews have said the exact same thing the veil is not torn. Keep their list of laws, keep their works, and, and you'll get in, you'll buy, you'll have your way into the veil. But they call God a liar. As Christ He said of them, ye shut up the kingdom, of, the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves. You don't go through the veil. Neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. You won't let others go in. You won't let others even hear that the veil was torn. They're not the only ones that have tried to seal that veil the Catholic church that rose in the days of the early church, they sealed the veil. They said that you have righteousness that is given to you when you're saved. It's it's infused into your person, but then you have to work with it. You have to buy your way through the veil because they closed the veil. They believe they did. And anyone, by any name, if they come preaching any message that mixes your works in with salvation, with justification, they are closing the veil that God says, I have opened. And there's a new, a new thing that's not so new under the sun. If you hear this term, if you're reading a book or listening to anything, a podcast or anything on the radio, and you hear the term, final justification... It is a new teaching that yes, you are justified here on earth, but you get your final and official justification in heaven. That is a closing of the veil and it is wrong. Is it any wonder when men do such an awful and wicked thing, this sin is above other sins, so much so, The Apostle Paul says of men that do this, that try to close the veil in Galatians, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Do not let anyone close that veil because God has opened it. By the death of His Son, He has opened it. No man dare close that veil. But there is another group another who react to this, and they are the doubters. And that's us often, or at times. We have a sinful tendency to think that the veil really isn't torn all the way open. And we, I believe that to be true because when we sin, you know, if our sins are bad enough in our own eyes, we think that the veil is now closed and we can't fellowship with God. We can't pray. We can't read the Bible. If we do, we're going to lower our expectations really low because we've sinned so badly against the Lord. He's not going to talk to me today. He's not going to talk to me this, this Sunday. This Word is, is not for me. I'll, just, I'll come because I don't want anyone to know how bad I am and I'll just sit through the service. No. You can't close the veil. Your sin cannot close the veil when it comes to fellowshipping with God. The only way for a Christian to lose the presence of God, the fellowship with Him, is if they're living in unrepentant sin. As it says in Psalm 66, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. The word regard means if I look to. If I look to sin and constantly fix my gaze upon it, I will not turn away from it. You know, repentance means turning away. Regarding sin is to look to it. You're not turning away from it. Holding fast to sin, not fighting against it, not calling it sin, making all kinds of excuses for it, that will cause you to lose the felt presence, the fellowship with the Lord. but if you suffer an awful defeat in sin, you fail miserably, but you call it sin, you're not going to close that veil. As I already said in the morning message, when we fail, when we suffer those defeats against our sins, that is when we need the presence of God the most. We have to come through the veil. So many people... I fear are stuck or they're trapped in their sin because they think that they can't go through the veil anymore. That they feel trapped in their sin and that the Lord will just give up, that the Lord has given up on them. No, you can't close the veil because the hands of God have opened it. With this third and final this final group will come to a close. And these are the partakers. The veil is torn. On the other side of that veil you will find God the Father and His Son. And they call to us and they say, Come. Come and fellowship with us. Come and enter into our presence. In Hebrews it says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest, by the blood of Jesus. The word boldness there means confidence. Confidence to enter into the presence of God because God is the one that has invited us. He's the one that's torn the veil. The way is open. So if you have your devotional tomorrow morning and you open your Bible and you go to read the Lord's Word and you wonder, am I going to come into His presence? Unless you are harboring a sin close to your heart, you, will, you refuse to let it go. When you open your Bible tomorrow morning, you will be through that veil. At the close of this service, when I come to pray, we will be through the veil fellowshipping with God and speaking with Him. Through this service right now, we are through the veil. It doesn't matter what our emotions are saying or exactly how we're feeling because... Our emotions, we can feel like we're not in a house, but if you're in a house, you're in a house. We can feel like we're not in the veil. We're not really in the presence of God, but you are. This very moment you are, and we know we are because He opened the veil. And you know it only gets sweeter from here. Because right now, We enjoy fellowship, we come through the veil. But we come through so many problems and we come through so many weaknesses in ourselves like you know we want to feel like the Lord is right here with us, don't we? We want to feel like Christ is the one that's up here speaking with me and is sitting by you in the pew and is helping you. But we got so many problems that make it hard to hard to see that. But it gets better because one day we won't need faith to feel the presence of God because we will see Him. Our fellowship will be sweeter then. Then we'll be through the veil and we won't doubt anymore. We won't say, well, I wonder if I'm in His presence. I wonder if I've done enough bad to shut me out. Oh, no, I haven't because I see Him. He's coming to speak with me because we will live on the other side of that veil. Do not deny that this veil is open. Because one day you will come before the presence of God. We will all, as it were, go up Mount Sinai. And we will see God. Whether in judgment. Or as those that have gone up. Not to Mount Sinai, but up to Mount Zion. With Christ. Believing in Christ. Trusting on Him to forgive our sins. And then... It will not be fear and terror that we feel, but we will have what Adam lost at Eden. Fellowship with God. Full, sweet, eternal. On the other side of that veil. Let's come now. Let's go to the other side of that veil. Our gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we praise Thee. We rejoice. We rejoice greatly in Thy work that Thou hast rent the veil by giving Your Son to be a sacrifice for our sins, so that we will never lose Your presence. That we will forever be with Thee, Lord. Save those who have not gone through the veil, who have never been in Thy presence through Christ, who refuse to come or go to them. And bring them. May they hear your invitation to all men. Come. This is our desire. We praise you. It is your desire. So bring us to your presence. Cause us to live there now, throughout this week, and for all our days, till we see thee face to face. In Jesus' name, Amen.